In the reporting and analysis I do here at Multipolarista, I talk a lot about the new Cold War, that is the second Cold War, that the United States is waging not only on Russia, but also on China. And a key part of that new Cold War is the information war. Propaganda, disinformation, fake news weaponized against China. The U.S. government has a long history of spreading fake news and propaganda against its adversaries, Iraq, Syria, the former Soviet Union, Russia today, and China is certainly a key target of this fake news and propaganda. And one of the most powerful weapons of disinformation, one of the most powerful propaganda talking points that we've heard in the past several years is this idea of debt trap diplomacy. The U.S. government and its mouthpieces in the media and think tanks in Washington have spread this conspiracy theory, this ridiculous propaganda concept that China doesn't have normal diplomacy. Instead, it has debt trap diplomacy. It traps countries in the global south supposedly in unpayable debt. Now, this is incredibly hypocritical because it's pure projection of exactly what the U.S. empire has done for decades through U.S. instruments of soft power and economic power like the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, or the World Bank. These are dominated and basically controlled by the U.S. Only the U.S. has veto power over these institutions, which were created through the Bretton Woods system at the end of World War II. And they essentially act as tools of U.S. neocolonialism, economic influence, and they trap countries in debt. That is de actual debt trap diplomacy. Now, on the other hand, if we look at what China is actually doing in its foreign policy, it is not debt trap diplomacy. China, unlike the U.S., has forgiven billions of dollars of loans. It has renegotiated tens of billions of dollars of loans. And what I'm going to be talking about today is the announcement made by the Chinese government on August 18th that it's going to be forgiving 23 loans for 17 African countries. I have a report about this over at multipolarista.com. I'll link to it in the description below. And it details China's plans to, to pardon interest-free loans 23 interest-free loans for 17 African nations. And China is doing this, by the way, after it already canceled $3.4 billion worth of debt and restructured $15 billion worth of debt on the African continent from 2000 to 2019 in, the, in that 20-year period. So this is the exact opposite of debt trap diplomacy. And as I'll talk about later in this analysis, we even have mainstream academics at prestigious U.S. universities like Johns Hopkins University and Harvard Business School, which are by no means bastions of anti-imperialism. They're very right-wing institutions. Even they have reluctantly acknowledged through their research that China does not engage in debt trap diplomacy. And unlike the U.S. has forgiven and renegotiated many billions of dollars of loans in the global south as part of this strategy of what China refers to as South-South cooperation. So I'm going to talk a little bit about China's real diplomacy and real foreign policy. Again, this is all spelled out in greater detail at multipolarista.com. And I have a link to that article below in the description. The article is titled, China forgives 23 loans for 17 African countries, expands win-win trade and infrastructure projects. And 
the Chinese mission to the United Nations tweeted a series of bullet points summarizing some of its main promises made to the African continent. And these were promises that were made on August 18th in a meeting that the Chinese foreign ministry and China's foreign minister Wang Yi held with leaders from the African continent and specifically from the African Union. So if you go to the readout published by the Chinese government's foreign ministry, it is titled China and Africa strengthening friendship, solidarity, and cooperation for a new era of common development. And these are the comments that were made by China's foreign minister Wang Yi on August 18th at this meeting discussing the follow-up to the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation. I'm going to summarize some of the main points here because there are a lot of things that were discussed that are very important and show how completely different China's foreign policy is compared to U.S. foreign policy. Of course, U.S. foreign policy, the United States being a capitalist government, is determined by corporations. It is large corporations and billionaire oligarchs who determine what U.S. foreign policy is going to be. China is ruled by a communist party. It is a socialist government. And China's foreign policy is guided by the political and uh, diplomatic views of the Communist Party of China, not by Chinese corporations. That's the difference between a state-led socialist model and a corporate-led, corporation-controlled, bank-controlled, private, you know, financial bank-controlled uh, capitalist model. So anyway, let's continue with this readout from the Chinese foreign ministry. China's foreign minister Wang Yi said that China and Africa are working to safeguard international fairness and justice. And specifically, he, he said, in the face of various forms of hegemonic and bullying practices, China and Africa have stood with each other shoulder to shoulder. So clearly, this is a reference to U.S. and European bullying and meddling in Africa. Of course, going back hundreds of years of European colonialism, mass enslavement and human trafficking, horrible crimes, genocide committed by numerous European colonialist powers. And today, the U.S. militarization of Africa via AFRICOM, U.S. Special Operations Forces. China refers to this as various forms of hegemonic bullying practices. China called for opposing unwarranted interference and unilateral sanctions against Africa. Once again, this is a clear reference to the policies of the U.S. and Europe. And China instead is advocating multilateralism and international fairness and justice. China talked about the ways in which Beijing and, and the African continent are cooperating. Foreign Minister Wang emphasized the cooperation on infrastructure, talking about Chinese infrastructure projects that it's helping to develop, including a highway in Nairobi, a highway in Cameroon, uh, a bridge in Senegal, um, and also projects in Egypt and, and other places. So China referred to this as a strong boost to Africa's industrialization process, emphasizing the importance of helping Africa to industrialize. Now, I'll talk about this in a second. Obviously, there's all these cynics who say, well, China is not doing this out of the goodness of its heart. China has this concept that it talk about later on of win-win cooperation and mutually beneficial cooperation. And once again, because China has a socialist government, it's not 
motivated strictly by the profit motive, unlike the US, unlike European capitalist nations, which have these neoliberal economies in which corporations determine foreign policy, corporate interests determine foreign policy. China, being led by a communist party, can have an, a foreign policy instead that is motivated by political, a political ideology, and that political ideology is rooted in the idea of win-win cooperation, mutually beneficial development that benefits both China and Africa at the same time, instead of this zero-sum worldview where one country and one corporation has to benefit at the expense of others. So China also talked about other measures that it's taking to support Africa. And again, this is mutually beneficial. And it notes that Beijing has signed letters with 12 African countries resulting in zero tariffs for 98% of their export items to China. So what this does is it makes African goods more competitive and it encourages African exports to China, which helps grow African economies and it provides these goods to China. This is once again part of this strategy of South-South cooperation that, that Foreign Minister Wang talks about in this speech. China also talked about the forms of COVID relief that it's been providing to Africa. China has provided 189 million doses of COVID-19 vaccines to 27 African countries, and they're jointly producing Chinese vaccines in Africa, resulting in an annual capacity of 400 million doses. China and Africa are also working on sustainable de development and green energy, they're cooperating on solar, wind, and other clean energy sources. And once again, Foreign Minister Wang refers to this as South-South cooperation. And once again, that is completely different from the imperialist diplomacy of the United States and the European Union, which emphasizes enrichment of corporations in the global north at the expense of the global south, as opposed to mutually beneficial South-South cooperation. China also, this is a very important announcement that was made in this meeting. China announced that it's going to support the African Union's efforts to join the G20. The African Union for many years has been trying to join the group of 20 nations, G20, and China is now supporting those efforts to try to democratize the G20 and specifically to encourage the voices of Global South countries in the G20, which is still largely dominated by many imperialist countries in the global north. And China also says that it supports Uganda's leadership role in the non-aligned movement, hosting the, uh, a meeting of the non-aligned movement. So this is about strengthening multilateral institutions that give a voice to the global south and thereby weaken the imperialist powers in the global north, in the imperial core. And then here is the announcement made by Foreign Minister Wang that China will waive 23 interest-free loans for 17 African countries that matured by the end of 2021. Now, what's interesting about this is that he mentions this in the, in the middle of his speech. This is not something that you know, they were greatly boasting about as the West so often does. China's, Chinese diplomats are much more subtle. They're much more cautious. They're much more diplomatic in their, their diplomatic efforts, as opposed to Western so-called diplomats, which engage in bullying and threats, as I'll talk about here in a bit. We saw that the, the US ambassador to the United Nations has been threatening Africa, telling Africa that, they, that it can't do 
trade with Russia, telling dozens of countries in the African continent that they can't do trade with Russia as if they were colonies. So China called for efforts to increase imports from Africa, support the greater development of Africa's agricultural and manufacturing sectors, and expanding cooperation in emerging industries. So once again, this is based on China's idea of mutually beneficial development. China says we oppose interference by outside forces in African countries' internal affairs and oppose stoking confrontation and conflict in Africa. And finally, here we see these ideological concepts that guide China's foreign policy. Foreign Minister Wang refers to win-win results, and he says that, that we should have multi-party cooperation and mutually beneficial cooperation. He says that the goal is a favorable and amicable cooperation environment, not the zero-sum Cold War mentality. This is a very clear reference to the U.S. and Europe in their zero-sum Cold War mentality in which one side has to win and the other side has to lose. And China called for mutually beneficial cooperation for the greater well-being of the people, not major country rivalry for geopolitical games. So that was China's foreign minister Wang Yi clearly condemning the new Cold War. Now, if this could not have been any different from the very threatening, aggressive tone taken by U.S. diplomats in their meetings when they visited the African continent this August. So what happened first is that the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Grinfield, visited Ghana and also visited Uganda. And in Africa, she threatened the dozens of countries on the continent against buying anything from Russia except grain and fertilizer. This is an article in the New York Times with that headline, with that title. A U.S. diplomat warns African countries against buying anything from Russia except grain and fertilizer. This shows this colonialist mentality. The U.S. treats Africa, the entire continent, which, by the way, is the largest continent on the planet, with over 50 countries, the U.S. treats the entire continent with over a billion people as if it's a colony, as if these dozens of countries are not sovereign and they can't do trade with whoever they want to trade with. They can't trade with Russia. These are the comments that were made on August 4th in Uganda by the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield. You can find this at the U.S. mission to the United Nations uh, website. This is an official State Department website. A journalist from the Associated Press asked Linda Thomas-Greenfield about comments that she made when she said that she threatened countries in the African continent not to do trade with Russia and said, quote, I would caution that countries should not engage with countries that have been sanctioned by the United States. A clear threat. And U.S. Ambassador Thomas Greenfield, she responded saying, this is an exact quote I'm reading from the U.S. government website, quote, as for sanctions that we have on Russia, for example, oil sanctions, if a country decides to engage with Russia where there are sanctions, then they are breaking those sanctions. They're breaking our sanctions. And in some cases, they're breaking U.N. sanctions with other countries. By the way, that is a ridiculous exaggeration. 
UN sanctions are a very tiny, tiny, tiny little percentage. Almost all of U.S. sanctions are illegal, unilateral sanctions under international law. So anyway, this is part of this U.S. strategy that diplomats try to portray their illegal, unilateral aggression as if it were supposedly multilateral, as if it were supposedly endorsed by the U.N. These U.N. sanctions, U.S. And European sanctions on Russia are not endorsed by the United Nations. They are unilateral and therefore illegal under international law. She continues, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. She says, quote, this is her speaking in Uganda, quote, We caution countries not to break those sanctions because then if they do, they stand the chance of having actions taken against them for breaking those sanctions. So here, the, this top U.S. diplomat is clearly threatening the African continent, telling them that they will have actions taking against, taken against them if they do bilateral trade with Russia. So this is the U.S. saying, don't trade with Russia. Now, a few days after Linda Thomas-Greenfield visited, Anthony Blinken, the U.S. Secretary of State, also visited numerous countries in the African continent, including South Africa and Rwanda and the Democratic Republic of Congo. And this article in France 24, which is a French state media outlet, it summarized his meetings very clearly. Quote, Blinken arrives in Africa to counter Russian influence on the continent. Of course, it's also aimed at combating Chinese influence on the African continent. And friend of the show, Eugene Perrier, a great journalist, over at Breakthrough News. He had a really good Twitter thread about this on August 8th. And Eugene Perrier wrote, today in South Africa, Secretary Blinken said, quote, the United States will not dictate Africa's choices. But just four days before, another U.S. official, that is U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Linda Thomas-Greenfield, she threatened Africa saying, quote, if a country decides to engage with Russia, we caution countries not to break sanctions. They stand the chance of having actions taken against them. And Eugene Perrier pointed out that these threats were actually made in Uganda. And lo and behold, it dictated Uganda's choices. Uganda is not buying cheap Russian fuel despite a cost of living crisis in order to avoid being sanctioned by the United States. So this is clear bullying clear intimidation. This, this is neocolonialism. These are the same kinds of policies that the U.S. is carrying out on the African continent, but it's accusing China of those same kinds of aggressive imperialist policies that Washington and Brussels are guilty of. It is clear projection. And finally, I'm going to end this analysis here, revisiting briefly a point about this idea of debt trap diplomacy, which is ridiculous propaganda that the U.S. government has spread accusing China of the very same kind of debt trap policies that the U.S. has carried out for decades via the IMF and the World Bank. I discussed this in a video and a podcast that I did based on an article over at Multipolarista.com. The article is titled Real Debt Trap. Sri Lanka owns vast majority to West, not China. If you want to read the article, I uh, will link to that in the description below. Or if you want to watch the video or listen to the podcast, you can find the links to those in the article. 
And I'm not going to go through this this all again. I mean, I, I don't want to repeat myself too much, but I do want to highlight some points that I made in this article because this article detailed how Western corporate media outlets and governments have been absurdly trying to accuse China of so-called debt trap diplomacy in Sri Lanka, a country that had a bankruptcy recently. The government was defaulted on its debt, was unable to pay its debt. And the reality is that China is only the owner of 10% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt, whereas the over, over 80%, 81% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt is owned by Western banks and vulture funds, Western governments and financial institutions, Japan and India. So this is a clear example, once again, of the lie of debt trap diplomacy. And in this article, I cited an article that was published in The Atlantic magazine. This is the voice of the U.S. capitalist class. This is the voice of the Washington, D.C. establishment. The Atlantic has a complete neoliberal right-wing economic uh, editorial, uh, editorial policy, and its foreign policy line is extremely hawkish and neoconservative. The Atlantic is in no way progressive. It represents the centrist establishment of the U.S. ruling class in Washington and the big corporations and capitalist interests that drive them. But The Atlantic Magazine admitted in this article, after The Atlantic Magazine has published many articles falsely accusing China of debt trap diplomacy, but they were forced to admit in this article that was written by two very mainstream scholars, including Deborah Braudigam, who is at Johns Hopkins University She's at the School of Advanced International Studies at Johns Hopkins University, which is very close, by the way, to the U.S. government and to intelligence agencies. She has done research on China's policies in Africa. And this article is also co-written by Meg Rithamore, who is a professor at Harvard Business School, which once again is a right-wing bastion of neoliberal economics funded by big corporations. But they acknowledged the fact in this article, The Atlantic, that is titled, The Chinese Debt Trap is a Myth. They admitted that the U.S. government narrative of China's so-called trapping countries in debt is a myth. It's false. It's not true. U.S. Vice President Mike Pence referred to it as debt trap diplomacy. Trump's Attorney General William Barr also did this, said the same thing. We've seen that the Biden administration has also done the same Joe Biden himself, Anthony Blinken, they spread these lies. And this article in The Atlantic Magazine admits, quote, that debt trap narrative is a lie and a powerful one. They wrote, our research shows that Chinese banks are willing to restructure the terms of existing loans and have never actually seized an asset from any country. And in this article, that I published at Multipolar Risa that's gonna be in the description below. China forgives 23 loans for 17 African countries, expands win-win trade and infrastructure projects. At the end of the article, I link to research that was published by this Johns Hopkins University scholar, Deborah Braudigam, who spent years investigating China's infrastructure projects and loans in Africa. And she wrote in her research that between 2000 and 2019, China canceled more than $3.4 billion of debt in Africa, and China restructured or refinanced 
around $15 billion of debt in Africa, and Beijing renegotiated at least 26 individual loans. That is in addition to the 23 interest-free loans for 17 African countries that Beijing has just announced that it's going to pardon. So all this shows that the U.S. claims and European claims of Chinese so-called debt trap diplomacy, the insanely ridiculous claims made by European colonialists who colonized Africa, that supposedly Africa is the new colonizer. It's ridiculous propaganda. It is hypocritical projection for the colonialist, imperialist, and neo-colonialist policies that the United States and European powers have carried out on the African continent for decades, for centuries, and they continue to carry out today. It is the European colonialist powers and the U.S. that are responsible for mass enslavement of millions of Africans, of genocide in numerous African countries, of massive super exploitation of the African continent, of constant military interventions. The, the U.S., Europe and NATO destroyed the most prosperous country on the African continent, Libya, in 2011 in a war of aggression. Western aggression against Africa does not cease. The U.S. has U.S. Special Operations Forces involved across the African continent in dozens of countries. AFRICOM, which by the way is based in Germany because no self-respecting sovereign African nation would host this U.S. military command of AFRICOM, African command, that is oppressing the continent. AFRICOM is active in the majority of the continent, and the U.S. and Europe continue to exploit Africa while they project their own imperialist crimes onto China with conspiracy theories like the idea of debt trap diplomacy. It is very cynical, it is very racist, and it needs to be called out. And here at Multipolarista, I spend a lot of my time doing reporting, investigations, research, and analysis to try to explain what's actually going on and to dispel these narratives of the new Cold War. If you like this analysis that you were listening to today, you can support Multipolarista. You can go to, to multipolarista.com slash support. You can also join at patreon.com slash multipolarista. And I will see you in the next video or podcast. Thanks a lot for listening to Multipolarista. I'm Ben Norton, and I'll see you next time.